Q&A with Bishop Julian Porteous. friends once again and welcome to question and answer with bishop julian porteous and as always we have our, our dream team here jovina graham hello there myself jeremy ambrose and the wonderful bishop julian hello bishop we have a very interesting topic to talk about today because to begin with this is the first time the church has seen well for a long time two popes together in a sense, we've seen them embracing each other in the media recently, and it's been such a wonderful sight. But um, it brings us to the whole question of Pope Benedict, and, and I guess now that he's retired, we have to look back and, and, and have a look at his papacy and, and ask ourselves, what has been the legacy here? What's the legacy of Pope Benedict? I think it's a very good question to ask at this point in time. Pope Benedict was... Uh, uh, exercised his role as Pope over a period of just short of eight years. And so we could ask ourselves now, what contribution, what particular contribution did Pope Benedict make to the church during that period of eight years? I think there are a number of things. The first thing, I think it's important to recognise the fact that the Cardinal electors, I think, chose uh, Cardinal Ratzinger to become the new Pope particularly because they, they knew that he worked very closely with uh, Pope John Paul II. And so, in a way, they wanted a continuity of the, of the papacy of John Paul II for a lot of the work that Pope John Paul had been doing to be continued, as it would be, through the work of, uh, of somebody like Cardinal Ratzinger. So I think that was in the mind of the, um, the cardinals in choosing Pope Benedict. And I think he very much was aware of that himself, when he came into to the papacy, that he very much wanted to continue in the same line and direction as uh, Pope Paul, John Paul II, and we can sort of see a certain seamlessness in that sense of of the next of his papacy flowing in the same direction as that of um, uh, Pope John Paul II. I think the other thing that's important and valuable, worth mentioning, is that one of the things that Pope John Paul was was keen to do was to emphasise the fact that he saw himself as one continuing the, the work of the Second Vatican Council, if you like, implementing uh, the Council. And um, Pope Benedict II was very aware of this. Um, both of them were president and active agents at the Council and wanted to continue to implement the Council. In doing so, one of the things they were very keen to do was to ensure that the Church had a correct uh, interpretation of the council. One of the difficulties that both popes faced was the fact that many were interpreting the council in certain ways, which was not really the mind of the council fathers and was leading the church in directions that weren't really faithful to what the council envisaged. Um, Pope Benedict, I think, captured this very succinctly and very clearly when he spoke about a hermeneutic. The word hermeneutic means interpretation the hermeneutic of continuity and discontinuity. And so one of the things I think Pope Benedict very much wanted to do was, was to, to say, look, what the council was about and what the interpretation and the implementation of the council is, is really to be a hermeneutic of continuity. The church is not changing direction. The church is not, if you like, becoming something new and different in this particular phase in history. 
yes, the Second Vatican Council wanted to address the challenges and the situation of the modern world, but didn't want to abandon its tradition and didn't want to, in some way, accommodate itself to the modern world in a way that was going to rob it of its real spiritual and moral strength. Um, and so I think that was another very important aspect to, of the legacy of Pope John, Pope John Paul and of Pope Benedict, that they wanted the council, the Second Vatican Council, to be properly interpreted. Okay, so now that we've seen that this hermeneutic of continuity, should we say that Benedict didn't have his own kind of his own individual legacy, or do you think there is something that's been unique to Pope Benedict himself? You know, as I've, I've uh, read and and um, listened to Pope Benedict, there's one thing that, uh, in one sense, was a little surprising to me, beautiful but surprising, was the fact that. Pope Benedict, particularly in the latter years of his papacy, spoke more and more, in more and more personal terms about Jesus. Um, one of the things he said, which in a way was something that uh, we, we don't normally associate directly with even the Catholic Church, let alone the Pope, he talked about the importance of having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Some people might even say it's a bit more Protestant than yes. anything else. But, I mean, it is uh, really what the Catholic Church has always been about. But he, he's used those words on a number of occasions. I think it's very significant that he devoted a lot of his time and energy as Pope to writing what is now a three-volume work called Jesus of Nazareth. Mm -hmm. I don't think we should underestimate the significance of his decision to do that and obviously putting an, a, a lot of time and effort into writing it. Clearly, he saw that, that for the church, what is most important, and I think what was for him in his own long and, 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 and great role in the church um, as a theologian, as working in the Vatican, as a cardinal, and now as pope, was in, in one sense it all boiled down to the utter simplicity of the fact that at the heart of being a Catholic, at the heart of being a Christian, was to have a close, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And this is what he spoke of um, in, in, in more particularly in latter years. And um, you know, he was saying, look, the church is not about being some kind of, having some lofty view of life, having some noble um, expression of morality. No, it's all grounded in, in the quality of a relationship, a personal relationship we establish with Jesus. I think that was, I feel that was a very particular, very personal uh, quality, uh, legacy that Pope Benedict has offered to presented to the church uh, during his time as Pope. And I think flowing on from that too was his, his great sense that this is what the church needs to offer to the world. The church needs to go out in a, in a fresh way to say, to say to the church, come and discover Jesus Christ. And I think he saw that as the great missionary task of the church. And, and we know that he was very involved in the encouragement of the new evangelization. He established a new uh, congregation in Rome to advance the new evangelization. For Pope Benedict, I think he sees this as the mission of the church. Uh, the new evangelization is about helping the world come to know, discover, come into a relationship and love Jesus Christ. On that note, another thing that I think that Pope Benedict has been very passionate about is, is the liturgy and the beauty of the liturgy and, in, I guess, you know, worship of God and showing this love in, in this way. Would you like to 
Give us a bit more information about that. Yeah, I think I think that's another very important dimension too. That the the personal faith of of Pope Benedict and his contribution to the church. Uh, I think the the word that um, readily comes to mind. He used it a great deal. Was the word beauty, and he he understood I think something very important that that with with all the the, the directions of 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 modern society, particularly Western culture expressed in places like Europe that he was very familiar with, he saw that what was being taken out of life was beauty. And he also saw that beauty was the way that that people could be drawn back to faith and discover, if you like, the transcendental dimension of life, the spiritual dimension of life through beauty. And so he saw the importance of the liturgy itself and obviously of, of architecture, of art, of music, all these things as actually very powerful means of awakening the soul of modern, of, of modern people. And, and I think he was, he was very right. And, and so he took great, uh, gave great attention to the way he celebrated the liturgy. He encouraged uh, people to, to see the liturgy as, um, as a time of, uh, of entering more deeply into the worship of God, adoration, this whole sense of a spirit of reverence associated with the way in which the liturgy is celebrated. Um, I noticed, for instance, a number of times when I was at Mass with him, after Holy Communion, he would never rush to the post-communion prayer. He would always sit, and sometimes sit for some time, obviously himself in deep prayer, but I think also wanted to say, this is a time after we received Holy Communion to be in a Holy Communion with Christ. Christ has come to us, let us now dwell in silence, conscious of his presence, entering into a deep spiritual union with him after receiving him in Holy Communion. I think that was just a simple expression of the fact that for Pope Benedict, this sense that the liturgy can draw us into a deeper consciousness of the presence of God and nourish our spirit, nourish our soul. I think that's one thing that he... Um, that he wanted to do. That flowed through too into his teaching. He was a, he was a marvellous teacher, an extraordinary teacher. His writings, all his, his works are, are really marked by an, an eloquence, a beauty, a simplicity uh, that's uh, quite, quite engaging. And one of the things that we, we see in his teaching, again, is his desire to communicate very, very simply, often very complex notions, but very, very simply, but in a way that, that nourishes the mind and the soul. And if you like, it's not just passing on teaching for teaching's sake. It's not just giving out information. It's rather teaching really what we would call catechesis. Teaching in a way that actually elicits faith, that stirs people to, to, to desire greater understanding of the truth. I think that, again, was one of the great gifts that... He brought to the church. Uh, he was just a, an extraordinarily gifted teacher. I think reflecting on the um, the spiritual and intellectual marvel that Pope Benedict has been, you'd be surprised to think that he's actually really been able to engage with the big issues around him as well to come out of that sort of interior life. And but he, he really has engaged with with the culture and the world, hasn't he? He has, he has. Uh, he was, he's very aware of um, many issues that uh, are in modern society. 
in particular, I think the choosing of the name Benedict was very deliberate because uh, he saw in Saint Benedict, uh, who's, who's the patron of Europe, the one who helped establish Christian civilization that, that really underpins the history of, of Europe. And uh, he wanted to um, he wanted to bring that um, that that spirit of faith to bear in on life. I mean, one of the issues that he had to deal with, which which caused him a great deal of personal pain, was the whole issue of sexual abuse. For for him, it was a terrible uh, thing to to be in the church. He himself acted so strongly uh, against it. He, he he also showed great compassion for those who'd been victims of sexual abuse by members of, of the church and often reached out to them and spoke so beautifully and so movingly to them. He, he showed uh, great compassion, great awareness of the suffering of people, but at the same time he stood clearly to say that this is uh, an abhorrent thing and must be eliminated from the church and really took quite deliberate steps himself to ensure this would take place. I think the final thing I, I, maybe I could say about um, Pope Benedict I found myself personally moved by was the way that he went about the process of, of resigning as Pope. Um, some of the things that he said there were so beautiful and moving. He, he, he spoke so humbly about stepping aside. He, he, he felt after prayer with, with, with God, he felt this is what he should do. In a way, he said he did it for the church. There's never a sense he, that he'd ever focused upon himself, upon his own needs, even upon his own legacy. He never wanted to you know, make his mark, if you like. He wanted to always be a servant. He wanted always to, to, to be an instrument of God. And I, and I think we saw that in, in him stepping aside. He, he felt simply that he could no longer do the task that was being assigned to him. He wanted to step aside. He felt the time has come for somebody else. Uh, in all of this, we see a very holy man, a very humble man, a man who sees himself as a servant of God, as a servant of, of the church. Um, Pope Benedict, I'm sure, will be regarded in history as, as a man who is deeply close to God, deeply uh, imbued with the Christian spirit, and who's made a particular significant and important contribution to the church in the beginning of the third millennium. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much, Bishop Julian, for um, reflecting on the legacy of, of whom you rightly called Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. just been speaking about um, the legacy of, of Pope Benedict and I'm sure you along with um, millions and millions of others watched the ceremony of the uh, of the new Pope uh, beginning his uh, his ministry you probably noticed in the ceremony um, that took place at St Peter's that there were two um, particular um, signs if you like or, or symbols of papal office that took place one was the presentation of the, the papal ring, the, what's often called the ring, the fisherman's ring. Yes. Um, and, of course, we, we readily associate the ring with uh, being a bishop, and so the Pope has a, is given a special, ring, a special ring. 
he actually chose one that had already been cast for Pope Paul VI, which was very interesting. But the other thing that you would have noticed was that the, the Pope was then presented with what was called a pallium. Mm. It, it's it's a, an unusual uh, thing. It's, uh, it's uh, well, it's described as having been three fingers wide. It's white, it's made of wool. Um, it sits around the neck and hangs down the front, it hangs down the back, it has black crosses on, each, on, on, uh, on six points on the pallium. So I wonder, do you know anything about the pallium? I think you've got me stumped there, Bishop Julian. <laughs> it, it's an interesting, um, it, it has an interesting history. Really, its origins go way back, and, and now I'll, I'll test you again. Maybe you've seen um, mosaics um, or, um, or, or scenes from the, from the very early church of, um, of popes where they wear a, a chasuble-like vestment, but there's also a, um, a, a cloth that runs around, goes across their front and goes over their shoulders. It's crossed in front of them. It's, um, it, was, it was this um, particular garment that was worn by early popes as a sign of them being popes. It eventually became re- reduced and simplified down to what we now call the pallium, um, but it, it is a sign of papal office. And so in the very beginning, only the pope would wear this, uh, this pallium. And so next time you're looking at an ancient mosaic of the 3rd or 4th or 5th centuries, <laughs> have a look at the Pope. You'll see him wearing a, 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 something distinctive crossing over him. In time, though, the, um, the Pope gave the pallium to, to various archbishops who were metropolitan archbishops. So archbishops whose role was not only their own archdiocese, but also had a sort of fraternal care of a number of what they call suffragan sees. And so it was a sign of the unity of the Pope with these, these important archbishops in the church. It's come now to be the fact that every archbishop who has other suffragan sees in, in, in his area is also presented with a pallium. And so just recently in Australia, for instance, after... Um, uh, Archbishop Costello was appointed and Archbishop Coleridge were appointed archbishops. Archbishop Coleridge was an archbishop in Canberra, but Canberra has no suffragan sees. So when he became the Archbishop of Brisbane, he went to Rome along with Bishop Archbishop Costello and they were presented with the pallium. Mm-hmm. So the pallium is connected with uh, an archbishop who has a number of suffragan sees and is a sign of his particular unity with the Pope in Rome. And so presenting the pallium is, was, is an important moment of recognising the distinctive role of the Pope. And that's why in the ceremony we saw him being presented with the pallium. Hmm. Well, there you have cool information about the pallium and the unity of the pallium and the legacy of Benedict. So thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Q&A with Bishop Julian Porteous. For more episodes, visit radio.org.